cliffcentral.com. Yes, that's what dead air sounds like because <laughs> this show is ridiculous. This show is... Yo, we are going to fight. I can feel it. What are you going to fight with? I'm not, I'm fighting. not fighting with anyone. I'm in no fighting I, you mood. Know where you... <laughs> Me, I'm, a, I'm a man of peace. Whatever. Sanbunan Noge, welcome to the show. It is frankly speaking. For the next hour, we're going to be speaking about the issues that should be discussed in the South African space. Of course, Rory Sang and myself speaking about what you want to hear, what's been on your mind, but perhaps you're scared to say in the public space. Mm. How are you, man? I missed you. Yeah, man. You've missed me. I've no, missed you. Not so much. Okay, fair enough. Like, <laughs> I've missed you, dude. I've missed you a lot. How have you been? Where have you been? All over. What does that mean? Give us Amongst a others, Stellenbosch. Is it? Mm. You went there? I went to Stellenbosch. You went to the heart. And I survived. <laughs> Barely. I can look at this Louis Vuitton shirt yeah. that you're wearing. <laughs> yeah. What are we speaking about today, Rory? What's going on? So, Julius Malema and the EFF have of late been making a lot of noise about uh, what's called the Stellenbosch Mafia. Mm. Um, and we thought, well, and, and they've been saying and, and, and Im- implying that the original state capturers, actually, and the ones that we should really be worried about, the likes of Andy Lemkitama have also said it, uh, that we, we, we're focusing on the Guptas who are stealing peanuts, as they say. Uh, meanwhile, you've got uh, the Stellenbosch Mafia, who apparently are the original or the, the, the biggest state capturers. So the question today is, frankly speaking, are the Stellenbosch Mafia the original state capturers? The original state capturers. Yep. And do the, I mean, should we ask... Does the state, the, the Stellenbosch, that's what we should be asking. <laughs> Does the Stellenbosch Mafia actually exist? I mean, is that a question that we need to start with? Well, it's a question that I think is worth exploring because it is a myth. But what is not a myth is um, uh, the, the Afrikaner Bruderbond. Yeah. Um, that, ha- that was known to exist. Um, I think it was established in 1918 um, in South Africa, uh, established by a group of South Africans, um, how many? About 37 different professionals, mm, yeah. 37 Afrikaner professionals, um, and they essentially were the original state capturers. So it, it, it already answers our question. Now, I think even before we jump into the Stellenbosch Mafia, it is worth... So in 1993, the Afrikaner Bruderbond uh, rebranded itself um, and became the Afrikaner Bond. And uh, we have uh, a representative from there, uh, Mr. Jan, Mr. Bosman from the Afrikaner Bond, just to give us, just to help us to understand the context. What is the Afrikaner Bond? What was the Afrikaner Bruderbond? What is the Stellenbosch Mafia? And what does this all mean? Uh, we need to talk to him quickly before, uh, before he heads into a meeting, and then I think we kick it off. Okay, let's do it. Uh, good morning to you and welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, and thank you very much for the opportunity. No, thank you for your time. I know that we did it on a bit of short notice there. Let's just talk a little bit about the transition from the Bru- the Bruderbond into uh, into what is now known uh, as a very legitimate organization. What do you guys do? Uh, well, let's start from the you, – you said in your introduction that the Bruderbond was formed in 1918. Uh, that is true. We're almost 100 years old. But the Afrikaner Bund was formed, uh, and you will remember after the Second uh, uh, Boer War, that people were in extreme poverty. The Afrikaner people, extreme poverty, uh, poverty people streamed to the cities, and something had to be done. And um, 
uh, when the Bruderbund was formed in 1918, uh, they, it, it was people in education, uh, ministers, religious ministers, they came together and said, you know, we must do something about the poverty of the Afrikaner. And uh, from that, a few actions followed, of which the main one was the Redingsdaad Bond uh, and the, con- uh, the Redingsdaad Congress that was in 1930 somewhere. Uh, and there they started with the economic upliftment, uh, uh, identified some of the issues where Afrikaners were involved. And people from civil society started with savings and uh, getting people together, getting savings together, started the company. And those companies grew and grew and grew. And uh, from there, I think we started seeing how South Africa prospered with the companies that started like Iscor, like Gencore. You know, you can, you can mention a couple of these companies that was formed from the actions but we were only instrumental in start in the startup in the idea, and from there it uh, it became huge businesses. Uh, Jan, you you mentioned companies like Iscor and so on, and those obviously had a, a strong government tie. So I think it it actually goes to the heart of our question: um, Were the Afrikaner Bruderbond the original state capturers? Uh, I, I wish it was, and we wouldn't have had uh, to rely on our membership. Uh, fees and so on, then we would have had shares in all these companies, but it's not. Uh, the Bruderbond never had shares or involvement in any of the companies. Uh, it was all ideas that were created in the think tank that we had, and from there the uh, individuals went and uh, started with those companies. Uh, but, th- but, you know, all of these... Were those individuals members of the African uh, some of them were, some of them weren't. I, you know, I remember, and I, uh, uh, I think also in the book of, uh, for instance, Anton Rupert, uh, he approached the Bruderbond for selling of his cigarettes, and you know, we encouraged. And uh, that's what I heard from history is that the Bruderbond encouraged people to smoke his brand of cigarette, to buy it, and to smoke his. So, so it was not a very healthy relationship, if you want to put it in that way. But mm-hmm. that was how things were done, and also with some of the. Uh, other companies, we uh, promoted, you know, people to buy shares in what was at that stage Volkskas, uh to to go on, and from Volkskas became uh, it later became APSA, and and mm. uh, that's how uh, the the Bund, uh, operated. Ian, um, is it a fact that every prime minister from 1948 to the end of apartheid in 1994 was a member of the Afrikaner Bruderbund? Yeah, the, uh, that, that is, uh, that is correct. Uh, but you must remember that the Bruderbund was, in fact, a think tank, not a, uh, uh, organization that wanted to capture, uh, the state or the national party or any other political party. It was a think tank and those members came from, but, but, uh, the difference is that our approach was always and still is that we want to make people who are leaders in society, we want to make them members of our organization. We don't make uh, people leaders. I'm what? really, uh, I'm actually really keen to get to Ralph Matejo, who is also in studio. He works for a think tank. I'm, I'm keen to ask him later on if, uh, if he's, if he's trying to capture the state, Andrew. Uh, no, I just, uh, Jan, I'm very interested in, in what you're saying here at the moment. W- what would you say right now the point of your think tank is? I mean, you talked about uh, it uh, in, the, in the past and how it came out of, of the Boer War and, and because the Afrikaner nation was in poverty. What is it now? What is the aim of the Bruderbund? Uh, 
We we still an organization that tried to make an, a difference, uh, not only for Afrikaners, but also for the broader South African society. So we will, for instance, have an issue debated, create a policy document, uh, distribute it amongst our members, and our members are in towns all over this country, and they take it up with either the local government or the provincial government or national government, whatever the issue may be. And we also, in our interaction with political parties and also government and also uh, the governing party, we have regular discussions, uh, debate issues, put possible solutions on the table and say that we are here to help. Uh, we have Afrikaner knowledge that we want to also make uh, available to government and it's not a very successful relationship at the moment, but we, we, we still try to do that, and uh, that's our philosophy. Um, the, the think tank that you spoke about, surely that's a network of very powerful, um, I suppose, Afrikaners and some others, um, that then can utilize that power to make good bargaining decisions. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's not something that's uh, flowing from the Afrikaner bond or the uh, former Buddha bond. Uh, where we have people, we have a network of people, and if those people have certain business ideas and so on, that's what they do, and that's what they do best. And uh, we leave them to do whatever they can do, and uh, for the betterment of society, but also for uh, for, for the private uh, economy in this country. Jan, before we let you go, I know you have to go, um, but uh, as a think tank, have you by any chance discussed the 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 recent issue around state capture and uh, particularly assertions by some that say that uh, while we're worried about the guptas it's small change compared to the amounts and 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 the influence that uh, the likes of the afrikaner Bund and members of it have had on government previously and benefited uh, from that's that's absolute nonsense and i've also referred we uh, in your introduction you referred to the stellenbosch mafia mm. I don't think I've ever met uh, the people who apparently belong to the Stellenbosch Mafia. We've never had contact and so on. That's individuals that in their own right, uh, um, you know, created companies and were very successful in it. It's not something that came from us or that we try to influence or have involvement in. And um, I think to blame the Afrikaner Bond or even the Afrikaner Bund of, of, of state capture in the sense that you see it now, that's simply not true. I think what we... That was to uh, uh, have uh, in the 30s and 40s, the, the main purpose was to uplift the Afrikaner economically and then later also politically. And that's where the involvement also became. And that was, I think, the biggest problem that the Afrikaner Bund had was the close relationship with the National Party at that stage. Yeah, and I, I, we really appreciate your time on the show this morning. It's unfortunately too short. I think there's a, a, a number of questions that we'd love to ask you. Uh, perhaps we, uh, we're looking to turn this into a series. Perhaps we can have you on for a longer period of time. And uh, we appreciate your short notice on this. You are most welcome. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you so much. That was Jan Bosman. He is the head of what's now known as the Afrikaner Bond, and that obviously came out of the Afrikaner Bruderbond. Uh, Bruderbond means brotherhood, basically, in Afrikaans. For people like me who don't speak the language, you'd have to Wikipedia that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's quite interesting because uh, if you look at the history of the Afrikaner Bruderbond, it was certainly um, it was regarded as a secret society at some stage. So, yeah. so, um, and then in 1993, they say they came out and they decided to become the Afrikaner Bond, as we said. He 
is very intent <laughs> and mm. saying we did not engage in state capture and so on. We did not do such things. But history shows that, uh, like we said, all of the all of the prime ministers of South Africa since mm. 1947 uh, until 1994 were members of uh, of uh, the Afrikaner Brotherhood. Uh, Mr. Kortbroek, uh, Martinez van Skalkwerk was yeah. also a member. Mm. It says, um, and uh, these guys were. Through the HNP, the Herenigde Nationale Partij, uh, which, which had significant political power, they, they, they wielded a lot of power. And then the question becomes, is it a coincidence that all of, that most of these people that were part of this network somehow just landed their bums in butter? Mm. Listen, if you've just joined the show, we've, we've got off to a, a rampant start where we're asking, frankly speaking, are the Stellenbosch Mafia the original state capturers? Of course, you can join us on WeChat, cliffcentral.com, or hit us up on Twitter, uh, at talk to us frankly, or at uh, Rory Shabalala, or at Yebo underscore Levy. Uh, it is a fascinating conversation. And uh, let me, let me tell you, I, I didn't know a lot about the Stellenbosch Mafia, but the more research that has gone on, uh, the more this topic is absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I just want to read you one thing, Rory, um, from, from a, a very interesting professor named Sampi Terra Blanche noted at the TRC, if one understands the structural nature of South Africa's political and economical system correctly, then it is clear that the one side of South African structured coin impoverished the Africans, while the other side of the same structural coin enriched the whites, especially during the first 70 years of this century. Uh, and then Johan Rupert had the audacity to go and actually speak at the TRC and say, we had nothing to do with it. We had nothing to do with it. Max Dupree, Max Dupree said this amazing quote where he was like, if you were just a bystander of this conversation where you saw these men in black suits and ties, you would think that they were all anti-apartheid activists instead <laughs> of capitalists. <laughs> we're joined by Ralph Mataka. He's in the studio today. Ralph, uh, thank you for joining us. Congratulations on your book launch. Thank you so much. Very, for very successful. Uh, we ask you. I mean, do you think that uh, the is there a Stellenbosch mafia? Is this just? Are we talking rubbish here? What's going on? Look, uh, there are historical facts, and there are all sorts of conspiracies that I've heard of, and I've read a lot of the the history that you are talking about back at university. Actually, I remember some of the authors who have done a great deal of work in identifying or in explaining the relationship that the Africana capital, if you like it, had with the state by then. One of the great writers we have done that was Hemen Khiliomi, one of the professors there who wrote around it. A lot of South African intellectuals have written about this from the Africana side and also some of the uh, uh, black progressive professors who have written on this. The, put aside the conspiracy. The whole story of uh, uh, the Stellenbosch Mafia, Brother Bond being part of a secret society, part of it is just nonsense. I'll tell you what I mean by that. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> That's why we like you, Ralph. You, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, what happened th that time, as history tells us. What happened is that uh, there has been a very close relationship between the state and capital under apartheid. And mm -hmm. the state actually has made a great deal of concessionary loans involving the formation of some of the successful companies that you see today. Some mm -hmm. I cannot, I don't want to mention, I don't want to give them free advertisement. Naspers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of these companies, a lot of them were started by some of the concession loans that were given by the state. I can even take you to another case about the building of uh, Ellis Park Stadium. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the ownership of citizen newspaper as well. Mm. Those are some of the entities that were specifically have had loans from the state under concession. The whole idea mm. of Africana economic development, the unfortunate and abhorrent part of it, of course, is that it was at the expense of development of black people. If mm. it was inclusive, mm. it was a very interesting development project, project that actually yes. people have thought about even in the post-apartheid South Africa. Mm. What has happened by then is that you, you, the state establishes a, 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 a company, maybe ISCOR, as, mm. as we say. Mm. After the state establishes ISCOR, they capitalize it very well. They then let it go to the private they sector. It, that yes. has been the, the model of development in many areas. Mm. Japan, after the war, they followed that under the bank that was very influential called the, uh, the MITI, Ministry of Trade and International, uh, uh, I think, Industry in Japan. There were cases in China as well that we can talk about where the state actually funded that. So we have had that relationship under apartheid where uh, the state created a, a synergy with capital where actually the thriving of capital under apartheid was uh, another uh, was seen as a necessary uh, thing that the state has to support to ensure that the state by then also and the government by then also had legitimacy. There was that symbiotic relationship. Mm. And and history tells us that towards 1992 at some point as you read South Africa's transition is that the regulatory mechanism of apartheid where it ensured that black people are reserved to the homelands the whole private sector thing was no longer holding up to a point where the, 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 some of the African capital actually, some came forth and said that, look, apartheid is not working. We can't grow further. This system, it's not working. That is one of the reasons why when apartheid government and IFW declared caved in, it was partially not only because of the liberation movement, but also because apartheid capital itself no longer found that economic arrangement the business, viable. The, the business model no longer held. Exactly. You yeah. had sanctions and mm. you have exhausted the local market in mm. a sense that you have excluded a large number of people who don't have a buying power. Mm. So the whole thing collapsed on its head. But some of the people who began to start ditching apartheid uh, uh, political framework were the Afrikaners by then. Yeah. They, then came the ANC in 1994. No relationship with any private sector. The ANC has been very suspicious about uh, the private sector in South Africa because the private sector, which played a bigger role in actually undermining the legitimacy of apartheid, mm. now it was there, independent, the ANC came about. One thing the ANC knew for sure, which is a fact, is that uh, the private sector, if it undermines you, uh, especially the powerful private sector that you have, you've got no way to go politically. And that is why uh, my view is that it has been the project of the ANC. It itself as a party to recapture some of the levers of the state to ensure that uh, the political development that you need their mandate it's actually synchronized with control of the economy the whole idea of capturing the state and so forth it's a very very broad issue no doubt you can have a very close relationship between the private sector where the private sector dominate the direction of government and mm. influences the value system within the society without necessarily capturing the state what is it that we're talking about about the state the courts the people civil society mm. The media, mm. you cannot fully capture all of those under, uh, in, in, under. You cannot put them all under the same roof and direct uh, maybe an objective that you need under that. You can capture certain levers of power, the economy. Maybe you can capture or under or capture a political party like the NC. I believe is fully captured now. Mm. And then other, <laughs> there are other <laughs> entities. For me, it's not fully. the state that yeah. has been captured in South Africa. It is the NC that it cannot even get out of it. it can, it's done, Ralph. I want. 
us to go back. There's a, there's a critical thing that you spoke about here, and, and I think it's, it's probably at the heart of what we're talking about. That transition where these companies got concessionary loans, what happened after that? How did those companies end up in the hands of a few? And is it the same as the, the original concept of BE, where it was only an elite few Afrikaner that made it while the rest didn't? Or was it a more broad-based uh, approach? Is BE essentially a copy of that? I'm asking you a number of questions, but... Very good point. What, what, what's going on? What happened to those loans? Did, were they ever paid back? Um, and how did then... Those companies end up in the hands because some of them were state owned. How did they exactly. end up in the hands of a few? It has been the traditional trajectory of building the private sector. The state, even today as we speak, the state is the one that is capable of taking the measure risk. The state has got guarantees. They've got you and I taxpayers money. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason why in most of the risky greenfield economic project, energy and so forth, the state, the state can put that seed money. But what had happened under apartheid is that it was not broad based. It was not, it was not inclusive. It was essentially, it essentially excluded quite a large number of black people. Some of those loans, that's why we call them concession loans, some were never paid back. And, and by the way, you might have 10 companies that started by then, but other 80 might have collapsed. We need to do thorough investigation. It doesn't mean anything that was started by the state then worked. It doesn't mean the state was efficient. That's not the case. What, 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 how does that come into BEE? How can you compare it with BEE as you are saying? It's a very simple thing. The apartheid government wanted to create a sympathetic private sector. They've done to a point where that private sector was no longer cooperative to the mandate of apartheid. Mm. Under BEE, it is the very same logic as well, where the aim of the ANC-led government in post-apartheid South Africa, as it comes out in their speeches over and over, is to create a sympathetic black elite entrepreneurs, business people who are going to actually understand and sympathize with the value system of the political mandate that is held by the ANC. Quite often within this thing, uh, not all of these projects succeed because I think that BEE has gained the life of its own and has become a nightmare to the very same ANC. Mm-hmm. Hence, we are talking about the capturers. There are different types of capturers. There are those who have captured the ANC and they are coming from the ANC itself. There is the private sector generally that has captured the whole sector in South Africa or the, the exact influence within the whole sector, actually making the ANC capturers look like people who are picking crumbs and so forth. Mm-hmm. That is how, for me, the whole thing comes about. The reality is that under any circumstances, this comes down to the relationship between the private sector, the value system of the private sector, and also government. And when you talk about the private sector, you are talking about individual men and women with influence with a lot of money who wants to accumulate more and more this is a, this is very interesting this is uh, i feel like I, we have to take a breath quickly because <laughs> we all want to speak right at the same time ralph mateja is joining us in studio of course he is an incredible analyst and a good friend of the show um but we, can we say good friend or have you then captured us no uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm wondering a, i just want to know uh, like. because you, you never know how i'm even going to respond to a question that cannot be a capture it's a natural relationship now that's interesting because i wanted to bring up this idea of capitalism as a as a, a code within Within South Africa We're in a capitalistic state Yes Therefore there must be A relationship between Government and the private sector Yes When is it healthy And when When do we start Asking questions Good point There is nothing wrong With people Within the private sector Trying to influence The direction of government 
I can put it on record, there is nothing wrong. But your question is ask, you're asking, when is it fair and open? In the US, for example, I'll give you an example. The elections that I've observed closely resulting in Donald Trump being elected. I've observed the US elections a few times. In the US, it's an open space. What happened is that a company, Glasgow Smith Klein, which manufactures medication, drugs, they say that uh, Andrew is running for presidency. We will put three billion to support you. Mm. You know what that means? What that means is very clear. When people are looking at you, they are knowing that you are likely to be a lobbies for the pharmaceutical companies. The information is clear in the open. The problem with what is happening in South Africa is that it is becoming clandestine. It's not our political system does not actually appreciate lobbyism. That is why you actually don't know what is the intention of the people. You don't even know who fund which political party in South Africa because political parties, this is where the DA agrees very well with the ANC. They refuse to, uh, to divulge who's... Uh, there's no honor. There's no honor among thieves. Probably that's what maybe... The, I don't know. So for me, the, the critical part is that in South Africa, we have got an unrealistic moral basis for our politics. We tend to assume uh, that these are great men and women who are always doing it well for us and everything. Whereas in the U.S., there is a, a concern. People are, are open. People are saying that, look, I took money from Coca-Cola to run for elections and all. And when you are elected, we know we're dealing with someone who's gonna sure so gonna going to be soft on Coke. So when we talk to you, we, are, we, we, we have clear expectation. Let's put it out in the open. Who is trying to influence who? So the civil society organization and generally the people can be able to be to access this information and have a better relationship with politicians and decision makers. Ralph, it's interesting you speak about these calcul. I mean, these uh, the, the 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 U.S. setup. Uh, there's an interesting conversation happening in U.S. and I know we're a bit off topic, but uh, where Donald Trump is even saying he's not going to uh, stop uh, his business dealings. Um, is that the level of transparency? I mean, he, it's, it's a literal conversation. He's saying, yeah. normally you do blind trust, arm's length, yeah. and he, he said, yeah, not, I, not necessarily so, and, and there's actually no laws that specifically prohibit him. You know, him. there's so much lying and dishonesty in Washington, uh, where people, some people try to lie. Of course, there's a great deal of transparency. You know, one thing I like about Donald Trump is what you see is what you get. Mm. You know, there's no pretense. There's no diplomacy. About the whole thing. He's going to build a wall. He's not going to tell you that, look, we're going to make sure that there are holes on the wall so you can peep the other side. No, it's a wall that's going to stand like that. Yeah. You're not going to see like anything. It, you don't like it. You like it. You don't yeah. like it. It's not a half wall with oh a bit of God. a wind flow and yes, all that. Yes. And I think that one of the reasons why Donald Trump is taking it to the corporations and also saying that, you know what, this blind trust lie thing, I'm not going to be part of it, is because he used this money to campaign. Mm. This is the he person. He doesn't owe anyone anything. It's just that his ideas are crazy and, and he's mean <laughs> no, sometimes. Mm. But when it comes to the independence Don't, of thinking, yeah. this is the man who didn't come through Washington. That is why I think his victory for me, as I look at it, I don't want to be biased. It's a victory against the Democrats and the Republicans. Yes. He won against both he against, Well, let's, let's come back. Let's come back to our topic and let's come back to South Africa. Um, it sounds to me we've gone to the United States. We've gone into the ANC. We've gone into the DA. It sounds like they're all the same. So is the state capture thing even... A legitimate issue that we should be uh, tearing our hair out about. Do we just assume uh, that state capture happens? If it if it already exists, why are why is there such a a big hullabaloo? Is it that the wrong people are now uh, mm-hmm. too close to power? Um, but generally, the the principle of state capture is not seen as a big deal. Let's begin with practical 
ways to deal with this, which is the party capture. Who sponsored the DA? Who sponsors the ANC? Mm. And what if these people are being sponsored by the same people financially, mm. and we all go around in the as if we are choosing from one party to another, whereas it's, it's, it's actually is the same people. We don't have that information. And I think for me. Uh, 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 the heart of your question is also that are we having a good debate or are we having a debate that is being managed by politician? My fear is that the debate is being managed by, by politician. Remember, if the truth were to come out as to who fund who, you will start realizing the extent of similarities and synergy within mm. the, these political parties. And that actually will be a big betrayal to the voters. So... I, I I don't have a problem with this debate. Let, let the people talk and all. But my concern is if the debate is being hijacked or captured by political parties themselves. Mm. I don't have, I don't trust political parties. I don't trust people who don't want to tell them who where, pays where they get their, money, they yeah. get their money. And yeah. and I don't even trust the ma- the manner in which they've cohered in uh, hiding that information. Sudden, it's yeah. just amazing. Yeah. It shows that the logic of politicians is to maximize elections. We should treat them with doubt. Hence the manner in which they have come into this debate of state capture taking it from this and that they will make sure that at the end of the day it protects the integrity of their politi- of, of, of their organization which I think we need to interrogate because it starts with the parties it mm. starts with the question who fund them maybe this mafia that is being talked about has been channeling money to the DA and the ANC let them release their books mm. and then we can now take them seriously about this debate well we, we're speaking about the mafia let's let's just name name these people so we know who we're talking about. We've got uh, allegedly, allegedly, just so we don't get sued. <laughs> well, we don't, we, we don't get a meeting request a little later. Eh? So allegedly, the people in the Stellenbosch mafia: Johan Rupert, Yanni Mouton, Christoph Visser, uh, Kurs Becker, GT Ferreira, Marcus Uster, and uh, Michelle Larue or Michael Larue. I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, who are among some of them, right? Who are mm. among some of them? That's not all of them. Just to give you an idea, these are, these are heads of companies like Remgro, who has a market cap of 116 billion, uh, PSG 47 billion, Shoprite 111 billion, Naspers. 959 billion. That's 36% of the JSE market cap. First ran 296 billion. Steinhoff, 295 billion. Capitec, who's recently new to the market, 78.5 million. We talk about mafia guys, right, Rory? And uh, Johan Rupert's name comes up again and again. I just want you to listen to this clip of Johan Rupert. He, I've never heard him speak until this point. You know, you hear of this man and what he's done. Just have a listen to this. Make up your own mind whether and you it's, think it's this guy's part of the It's mafia. interesting when you speak about um, relationships with different parties. Uh, this one is an interesting relationship. <laughs> because if it hadn't been for his narratives, I was in danger of becoming totally irrelevant. I mean, you guys have forgotten about us. Firstly, I don't live in Stellbosch. I don't know how I can be part of the Stellbosch Mafia. We live in Somerset West. And I haven't been given an award for so long until Mr. Malema arrived. And he pointed out to me that I was running the ANC, the DA, the SARS, by the way, like Yel Sarge. Uh, they only get in trouble, especially recently, by the way. Um, the kind of, uh, you want to talk against us? Uh, oh, um, and I forgot the central bank, they were in as well. And now, of course, people have left him 
And they now say, I'm controlling Julius. I've never met him. But I did send him a text message through a friend that if he doesn't stop lying about me, I'm going to tell the world that I actually do give him money. <laughs> All I have to do is to put the little text out and then make it look like it was an accidental direct message that... And lie. All I have to say is, I've met you, I like you, and I'm actually backing you. So stop lying about me, and I won't lie about our relationship. I've never met you, but I promise you, two can play the game. <laughs> there you go, two can play the game. So, we've got these guys. I mean, he sounds like a mafioso. I don't know, man. He sounds like a very polite mafioso. I'm telling you, this guy is as hectic as they get. He's like Kaiser Soze. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the character in the movie, you know, suspect. He doesn't exist. He exists. Nobody has seen him. Yes, yes, but but there you go. And 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 he's and he's couching it in very joking terms. But there are a few sort of strong punches there about. Um, you know, I'm accused that I've captured uh, the ANC, the DA, the EFF, and maybe he might, right? Through yeah. and maybe not directly, but through a network of of things. Now, one thing that has come out though is is there was this big uproar that ever since uh, the EFF went to London, when they came back, all of this started. They started harping on about the Stellenbosch mafia. They started harping on about. Um, uh, Johan Rupert and so on, or at least their volume on this issue uh, became louder. Mm. Is there is there any merit in in those sorts of uh, conspiracy theories around uh, the London agenda now uh, and the D and the EFF potentially being captured? I I I, I I'm imagining for what purpose will anyone want to capture the EFF? I mean. What would you want to achieve? To disrupt order or whatever it is? They, How, Ralph, have, we can see what card you're carrying now. Yeah. They, they, they have, they have <laughs> defeated the future presidents of our nation. But they have defeated. They, they have managed to to ensure that the ANC stays out of the holes on, of power in in the major metro. The, so the, the problem they're with a the, player. The problem. I mean, let's wait. Maybe Mr. Rupert will give us details as to whether he funded them or not. <laughs> but the thing with the EFF, if you look at them, the EFF are actually saying nothing in South Africa works. They they hate the private sector and for them we must just close shop uh, the private sector and the state must be responsible for any distribution of opportunities within the economy that's what they want so that's why i, I don't know who would who would maybe put money to the EFF in London as well i've listened to what uh, malema said in london and so forth i i I don't know. I want to assume he's genuine in, in his criticism of the private sector. I want to assume that uh, he's not someone who could be available to be influenced financially that way. Maybe maybe the likes of Rupert indeed they need to tell us mm. uh, that uh, maybe Rupert will have to say that no, not I, I did not only capture the NC, I've captured the DA. It's, it's, it's equal capturing. Yes. Everybody else is captured in the same measure if that is the Some case. Are, more equal than others. Hey, I'm it's feeling something sick. going on here. Listen, I wanted to read you guys, if, if, you, if you'll allow me, um, the testimony from Johan Rupert during the TRC. Now, just take us back for a second. This is late 90s. We've just yeah. hit democracy. We're going through some transitional. The TRC is this incredible moment of where, where the perpetrators, the extremists come through. Johan Rupert asks to speak at the TRC. And he says, I'm just, the, the, the entire speech is fascinating, but I'm just giving you a little paragraph. He's like, 
Now, I'm immensely proud of those achievements he's talking about his business. It shows that we could have achieved by a few people from the southern tip of Africa who believed in miracles and set out to make them happen. However, for, for, for over 40 years in South Africa, we've operated in an unjust society. I think the first question we must ask is, did the private sector benefit from this unjust and inhumane society of social engineering? And I think that's an, and in brackets, unclear point. I'm not going to debate it. I think that's a debate that can be held over weeks. Certainly, if that had to be the case, it is very interesting that we had a total unique situation where business in South Africa was to the left of government. Now, maybe not fair, far enough to the left. Certainly, retrospectively, it wasn't too far. But I cannot recall of a single government abroad in every bit of economic and political history that I've read that had to contend with businessmen that actually criticized them from the left. So he's actively saying that he, he was on the left. He was criticizing the apartheid government. And there's this huge, um, you know, you talk about conspiracies, Ralph, and I think there's so many in South Africa. We, yeah. could, we could do movies for days on these conspiracies where the apartheid government, through big business, siphoned at the end of apartheid, yes. siphoned a whole bunch of money through these big businesses. Any thoughts on that? Exactly. There has been illicit transactions towards the end of apartheid around 1992 or so. Uh, report has been done. I remember one of the colleagues I used to work with, Hennifan Firen, his career has been an obsession about this and he has done an incredible job on, on some of these, these transactions that have been talked about. Uh, Andilem Jitkama actually in his case to the public protector, former public protector was that we need to recover that far, that money that actually left South Africa in an illicit way mm -hmm. towards the, the massive looting that has actually taken place. 26 and, billion. Yeah, that's quite, and if you put it in today's value, you're talking about maybe a trillion if mm -hmm. you like, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that amount of money cash that left the country. But I think there is an interesting question that Mr. Rupert is saying there about whether uh, the private sector gained from apartheid. It did gain. The law ensured, apartheid law through the demarcation, the 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 the, the, the whole thing of the urban uh, periphery control laws, uh, ensured that there is cheap black labor available for, for apartheid uh, uh, system, the manner in which it has started. This is the same thing as asking if China's industry has benefited from cheap labor. It did, no doubt. China is <laughs> extremely competitive now where we are because it is because of uh, being able to develop very well under cheap labor. It is the same argument that has been made today by some free market entrepreneurs who are actually saying that uh, too much legislation on the labor minimum wage and all that will actually kill small mm. companies and mm. so forth. Mm. These arguments keep on being made and being made. But we also need to note as well that in economics, when you grow to a certain point, you outgrow the system that has created you. What has happened with apartheid uh, uh, capital and the private sector is that it has grown that condition that, ex that, that, that created. It needed to blossom outside, but then you had sanction. You had that. That is why those guys started saying, giving apartheid administration a hard time that guys, this, this, can't we come up with reforms? We cannot access the market outside. And also this thing of a uh, cheap labor of yours, it just doesn't work. Even today, as we speak, our economy is retarded by that creation of cheap labor because majority of black people are still not integrated into the mainstream economy. So apartheid capital gained gained traction avoided risk because of the legislative framework under government you know guys i want to ask you a question about this whole thing because this is again based in a capitalistic society right with the added um avenue of apartheid which then helped benefit white capitalist monopoly right and uh we talk about the Stellenbosch mafia and, and I suppose some people, specifically white people can get their backs up because like, Oh, this is white monopoly capital. I'm not part of it. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not that Rupert guy. 
there is there is something to be said about that, which is to say, do these guys have more of a responsibility than the average white person to to right the wrongs of the mm-hmm. past? I think partially it's also the same question you can ask. I mean, I remember one day taking a bus with someone who was a white person who was very angry with Julius and said to me that, yeah, you know, Ralph, you must deal with that. And I said that, well, suppose I agree with you that Julius is wrong on everything. Why is it my responsibility to correct the crazy things in our society? Why are you even associating myself with him? But I understood where the guy came from because that Apartheid capital used the African identity as a as a way to because each and every society when it develops capitalism takes a different form it can take a different culture in the U.S. in Japan it can take that culture and it has to be infused in a local culture so that you can accumulate in a way that does not necessarily radically disturb the social fabric of the society so the whole idea of uh, the survival of Africaners Christianity uh, Calvinism uh, you know that has been one of the biggest motivation for rapid accumulation and for working hard. That's how you get people to work 15 hours. They don't think that they are being working like machines to accumulate. What they are thinking is that they are working in the survival of the Africana dom. Africana. That is the same thing. The same thing applies to black economic empowerment where people are saying that it's not just accumulation. It's about ensuring the value system of building an inclusive economy for, for, for blacks. Does What is my view about that as a black person? Why do I have to respond to that? These are some of the difficult questions that we need to look at about the relationship between culture and economics. Ralph, um, there's there's also the conversation about black people, mm. and uh, increasingly the, the, the Stellenbosch mafia is becoming more diverse. It sounds like mm. uh, names like Jane I do mm. uh, get called up uh, when 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 KK Combi. I, 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 haven't, I haven't received my invite. If I have to say, <laughs> I'll be checking <laughs> the, the mailbox. Yeah. It, and and it and it raises the question: Why? So what what is it now with these black? So there there are transactions. There's Pembani, which has yeah. which 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 concluded transactions with uh, Remgro. Uh, with, with Johan Rupert's company, um, what's happening now? Is uh, is there really? Because now it's a myth. The Stellenbosch mm-hmm. mafia thing is a myth. But is there really an organised, or is it just business people who, by coincidence, happen to come from mm-hmm. uh, a certain part of this country, a small town, a very small, quaint town? By coincidence, they all just happen to know each other, mm-hmm. and this has happened and transpired. They own close to fifty percent of yeah. the JSE market cap, if not more. Um, this is—it's it, almost unbelievable that such coincidences happen. What's going yeah. on? You know, you know what? I—I I, I usually try to set myths aside because usually the nations in, uh, invent myths just because they cannot own up to their history. Mm. Uh, to own up to what has happened to the history of South Africa is that Africans have been very Effective in dealing with poverty within African communities. Mm. They've done it. The post office system that we have today has largely benefited a lot. It was a sector that was put aside to deal with poor whites problem. Mm. The same thing with the railway industry. You need to go back to the economic history of this country. So they've been able to deal with those those issues and so forth. The main problem was that at some point, some of the goals that were achieved under that structure were achieved at the expense of black people. So the question that I think people are willing to ask now, and I think that uh, if you look at a lot of people making some work and research on political economy of post-apartheid South Africa, there are people who have honestly said, what can we learn from the mobilization capacity of the African capital uh, uh, back then? What is it that, what value system can we really bring now? And some of these transactions that you see now, there is a possibility that uh, some of 
the BEE people are actually willing to learn mm. on, on, on how some Africaners did it. Of course, I don't think they will then feather the whole thing of a racial exclusion. It might be class, the mm. form of exclusion, mm. that might that might be a necessary path towards that development. But there is nothing wrong in people coming, uh, some people within the BEE saying that, look, we need to look into the instruments of African Adam and to see how they did it. Minus the, 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 the whole thing of racism and exclusion. But there is something to look at. And by the way, that part of Africana development, it is part of history. It even affects black people. Why is it that if black people maybe feel that they need to rewrite development, why can't they... Oh, they, they tap into that, even that painful part of their history, which they've enjoyed anyway. Mm-hmm. Why can't you tap into what you have enjoyed as a nation? I don't see anything fundamentally wrong for that. So are the Guptas being picked on then? In the, in the, in the, in the final analysis, in, what I'm hearing is that state yeah. capture happens, has been happening, and uh, in the Afrikaner communities yeah. was used particularly effectively to, to lift the Afrikaner community from yeah. the post-Boer War um, situation, which was dire, mm-hmm. um, and created a few billionaires and mm-hmm. so on, and out of that, a lot can still happen. The Guptas, are they why, being, why, are they, why are they being picked? Are they being picked on? And is it, a, is it a really a big deal? It is a big deal because the problem is that their methods are crass and the method actually raises serious legitimacy problems with the BEE. Fundamentally, there is nothing wrong with BEE. It's the manner in which it is being implemented. It is an ANC project and I think the ANC should have safeguards. But the Gupta situation shows that the ANC lost safeguard mechanism on the BEE where the Guptas came and said to themselves they are a better uh, 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 partner and engage in this kind of a crass transactions that lacked any moral basis for that matter. That is where the problem is. But I also think here, the funny part that uh, I think, you know, when I'm sitting at home thinking about these guys, I, 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 you know, I look in the sky and say that, you know, this debate, how it has come about is like some NC members have made maybe 100 million and they wake up, realize the Guptas have made 6 billion and they went bonkers <laughs> like, oh God, these guys have made so much. It's it's, it's not about it's not about it's, principle. It's, it's about je- it's jealousy amongst the elite. It's about you thought that the bribery you got was good, was and you good, start yeah. realizing that Ralph has received four times <laughs> that, and you start having a sense of injustice about yes. that. Pro- you you yes. want to actually uh, democratize corruption. I'm I'm interested in this whole debate, and it's very very interesting. You bring up elitism, Rory. <laughs> Uh, Rolf's cheeks just lit up when he said that, didn't he? <laughs> but, um, but, um, I mean, you know what President Jacob Zuma says to people that, uh, hey, look, guys, don't forget, you've got your peace. The fact that you negotiated for a small peace is none of our business. That's what he means when he's talking about all this glitter. So I look at people desperately wanting to shout at him, and uh, I can see their body language say that, but they're going to talk about that two million of mine. Is, is this the veterans? Is this what happened to the veterans? Because the veterans went in gung ho. They came out like uh, probably the president tales. just said to them, "These are the uh, can can we have a beginning pack for this meeting? Can we look through that for five minutes before we talk later?" <laughs> they said, "Okay, no." They said, "No, no, no." They said, "Now we understand, but please, man, stop attacking us in the public. Tell Mister Kevin Mopate to chill because we can't." <laughs> Because, the, you know what, we're talking about the system, a very corrupted political system. It's not about individuals. Individuals come and go. The system itself is corrupt. But that's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, you've said a few times throughout this conversation that we should look at the Afrikanerdom yeah. and uh, the positives of it and, and try and use that. But but that is based on elitism. It's based on exclusivity. Yes. There, was, there were 10 families that lived in the Stellenbosch region that went to the same school, that went to the same university. Yes. And now you look at 
at, I mean, Rory, you've got the stats there of the boards, yes. and you look at who sits on the boards and who who's a percentage, who owns a percentage of what. It's unbelievable. PSG owns Rembrandt's twenty uh, percent. This one owns Mouton owns look, this one. The, the, you know, the, the, sign off owns this. It's like it's ridiculous. I remember when I was at university, one of my professors used to talk about this thing of capitalism with a human face. That's what we are doing now. What we are what we are doing now with the Guptas and everyone. It's not necessarily to defeat the entire capitalist. It reinvents itself. It survives better. It has survived since Marx wrote Capital, yes. for that matter. Yes. It has evolved over a period of time. So what we are doing now is to say to guys that Please, guys, just slow down a little bit so that there is some to build those houses along Dipsloot and, and along Jackskay River and Alex. That, don't kill the goose. That's just they're, the whole they're point. killing the goose. That's saying, the problem. It's more like saying to them that look, government is not shutting down next week, guys. You, you, you can't just you can take so down, much. Yeah. Slow down a little bit here. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Well, Ralph, uh, yeah, Ralph, uh, Ralph, Ralph is coming alive, and unfortunately, it's at this like very moment, right now. and like, now he has like to leave. I'll, I'll be back, guys. I'll be back. We can talk about this even further. I still have points. No, no, no. We, we really want to get those points. Ralph Matech of Mistra, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, useful insights. I still wanted to find out what you think of Jan uh, Jan Bosman earlier, and and the, some of the things he said. He lives in his own world. That's fine. <laughs> he can live in that. That's the beauty of a post-apartheid South Africa. You can just live it's in your own world. world. Just like President Jacob Zuma lives in his. <laughs> Everybody has their own Ralph, little world. Ralph, uh, get out of here before you get uh, before you get yourself into trouble. Yeah, having, guys, he's having too much place. fun. <laughs> wow, Ralph Matefa, thank you so much for uh, you know, I, I thought he was an economic analyst and political analyst, but actually I've realized that he is a full-on stand-up comedian. Hilarious. Ralph Matefa, thank you for joining us. Rory, that leaves us, that leaves you and I talking about this. And I feel like this topic is so broad that we might have gone a little bit all over the place, to be honest. Even though fascinating as it is, we've spoken about quite a bit here. Understandably so. I think yeah. this is an issue that we needed to to first understand, and it's it's quite broad by the mm. by the sounds of things. Mm. I think uh, some of the things we, we didn't have enough time, for example, with Ian Bosman. Some of the things that he said just sounded like complete inaccuracies and 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 lies. Um, you know, so I think that there's something to be. Those are some of the things that we need to tackle. The fact that Iskor and all of those companies, the ABSAs of this world, were formed by members of the Afrikaner Bruderbund. So. We we have to engage those more deeply. We have to engage some of the things that Ralph uh, has spoken about. Ralph's book, uh, by the way, um, When Zuma Goes, uh, also has some interesting points that need to be brought in to the conversation. Now, Ralph has decided to come back because he's having too much fun. But I think those are the sorts of things that we need to unpack and go into with, in greater detail. I wonder the, the interesting thought that has been playing on my mind throughout this conversation is this idea of networks and social capital. We've spoken about that's one of the big issues uh, amongst the haves and the have-nots in this country is what they call social capital. The idea that you don't have an uncle or a father's friend who works at that company who can give you the internship, the spare laptop, the cell phone, the, you know, the money to go to varsity, so on and so on and so on, right? This is like, this is like social capital on steroids. But it's also, I think, GT Ferrari we, giving a hundred million to this one. To but we need to we need thing. to ask ourselves again: Where is the wrong? Right. So, um, and and maybe the wrong is when it is to the exclusion <laughs> here of comes, others. Here comes the capitalist Rory no, chief, politician. No, chief. But 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 you need to understand. I, I think the question is 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 when it is to the exclusion. That is what uh, I heard Ralph saying to say. Look. 
the the project, the Afrikaner project of developing the Afrikaner community post apart uh, post post the Boer War, um, was successful in many ways. There are a lot of things that can be learned from that um, in terms of just how you develop uh, communities and society. Um, the the biggest problem with that was it was to the exclusion and to the exploitation of the black masses in this country. If we can take from that and we can and, and we can we can use that and tap into it as I think Ralph is saying is that tap into what exists and make sure that we open it up so that more people can benefit so that it's not just a closed network. That is probably in the hands of you and me. Andrew, you know uh, a couple of people who would be associated with white monopoly capital. You should be integrating Bulla and and so on into those net- networks. No, that's that's how why, me and you. Why, why you no, we are not externalizing. Interest, what I'm interest. saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, is we can externalize it and say Rupert and say all of those people, but you and me have the power um, as young professionals and so on who operate in some of these networks who have a little bit we have the power we have the power within the communities one of the things that Jan said earlier was that no we work on membership fees and so on which half truths right but but it is true that if you can if you can uh, aggregate the amounts of money that you and me and a number of young professionals earn and so on and we begin to invest in one another those are the ways in which we can begin to reverse some of the Apartheid injustices. I think there's a fascinating conversation here about inclusion versus exclusion, and I think that's definitely something that's come to my mind. Let's go back a little bit. We talk about the Stellenbosch Mafia, and are they the state captures? When we talk about mafia, we, we have very negative uh, connotations, of course. When we talk about state capture, we all think Gupta, we all think negative, we all think illegal. The things that we're speaking about, social capital and networking and keeping it inclusive, I mean exclusive instead of inclusive, that doesn't necessarily mean illegal, right? So what part of the, st- the, the Stellenbosch Mafia that, you know, the alleged Stellenbosch Mafia are we currently uncomfortable with? So for me, there's two parts, right? The first part is to say these guys definitely benefited. The companies that were, that were formed, the people that played, definitely benefited from the apartheid system um, unjustly. What have they done? Naspers wrote a letter saying, we apologize. They own 969 billion rand market cap. Is writing a letter really what they should be doing? Yeah, and if you, if you listen to the concessionary loans and so on, that was state money that they have the capacity to pay back right now. Um, and to what extent are they paying it back? I think it's a payback. The money needs to be expanded. It, it's gone to Zuma. Zuma has now paid back the money. Maybe we need to now turn to these companies, the likes of Naspers, even the Absas and so on and say, so when are you paying back the money? Mm. You see, the problem, I think, Rory, is capitalism as a, as a structure lends itself to this kind of capturing in a gray, gray area. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I give you a loan, or I fund your political party, or I do this. You just have beef with capitalism. I don't think there's, <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with capitalism. I think the way, in as much as socialism and communism, uh, have been used as oppressive systems as well. The no, issue, no, the no, issue is not, not the economic system. But it is. No, it is. I, re- I, I refuse. Let me tell you why. Because the economic system allows for power. 
which then drives political agendas. But that so is, that is the law of money, the jungle. How, so, so, so then there's no state capturing then. No, if you can create a system in no which, but, but the issue here, the issue of capitalism is not the system itself in my view. The issue around capitalism is the way in which it excludes others from the opportunities that capitalism affords all of us. Um, communism is, is, is much, you know, you have communist states where there's some people who live much better than the rest. How, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. So the system is a problem. Thank you. You've agreed with me. The system is a problem. I appreciate Communism that. is a system. <laughs> Capitalism is a system. All these systems are a problem. Actually, people are a problem. Oh, Let's just God. get out of here. Right, I'm listen, sick listen, and tired listen, of people. Listen. Frankly speaking, uh, were the Stellenbosch Mafia the original state captures? I think there's more to be said about this. We've, we've started with it. Thank you to Rolf Matecha and uh, also Jan Bosman. He's the head of the Brudabon. I don't even know how you justify that organization existing right now. Leave him alone. But uh, if you want to hear more, cliffcentral.com forward slash frankly speaking. Yo, these conversations are heating up. Ciao, Rory. Bye-bye. Cliffcentral.com.